Amen. Speak, O Lord. Uh, what a song to sing as we open up the Scriptures uh, this evening to Hebrews chapter 12 uh, to hear the Lord speak to us. Hebrews chapter 12, we're going to be looking at verses 2, Hebrews 12 and verses 2. Uh, This message is inspired by uh, the Sunday School lessons that I'm teaching through in the youth group. Uh, Right now we are going through the fruits of the Spirit by unanimous vote. Uh, It was the students who decided that they wanted to learn more about the fruits of the Spirit. And I think the VBS has done our students and children a lot of good because all of them could sing the song, The Fruit of the Spirit. They all have the fruit of the Spirit memorized. And so I was really impressed. The first day we started our topic together, they sang the song, and I was really impressed by it. But we're going through the fruits of the Spirit, and a couple weeks ago we did the fruit of joy. And so when it was my time to preach, I know starting uh, the next sermon, Pastor Knox has a timetable for us to cover the book of Philippians. And so uh, this is probably going to be a one-off. And this is going to be from uh, from Hebrews chapter 12 and verses 2. Joy, the joy. Uh, Let's read it together and then I'll say a little bit more. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2. The author of Hebrew writes, Looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. The title of my message, Who for the Joy that was set before him. One thing that I've thought or taught the the youth uh, at the introduction to my class on the fruits of the Spirit is to see the fruit of the Spirit not as um, a basket of different fruits with apples and bananas and such, uh, but to think of it in the sense of what Christ talked about in John chapter 15 when he talks about the vine and branches. Think of it as a cluster of grapes. Uh, you don't have different fruits on that vine. You have one fruit uh, that have multiple parts. And so here is this idea in Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, not fruits, but fruit of the Spirit, and it lists the attributes of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc., etc. And so I'm going through them one by one. And so this, this idea, this, this fruit, uh, this gift of joy that the Holy Spirit produced in us, Uh, The question is, how can we cultivate joy, the joy that is the fruit of the Spirit? Because what we have coming into this study of the fruit of the Spirit is that that God, through his Holy Spirit, has given us gifts. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift of the Holy Spirit. This is not something that can be cultivated apart from the Spirit work of regeneration. But yet, this is not something that is produced in us in a passive way. God is at work to produce it, but the Scripture tells us that God wants us actively to 
produce it. And so there's, there's an act whereby God is working in us to produce the fruit, but yet he's telling us to also work and produce the fruit. And so this regenerative process, this process of sanctification in the life of the believer is something that is at work by the hand of God and also by the efforts of the Christian. So what is this joy and, what, and how can we cultivate it? Well, joy is simply this, this gladness that is bound up in God. God himself is, is a God of joy and gladness. The Father rejoices in the Son and the Holy Spirit rejoice in affection that comes from both the Father and the Son. But this joy of God is given to us in our union with Christ. And so as you think about joy, I want you to, to think about or imagine the picture of a marathon runner pushing through the grueling race, his eyes fixed on the finish line. He's anticipating something. Again, imagine a student going through years of studies and sacrifice to, to complete the degree. Think about the joy and sense of accomplishment they feel as they walk across the stage to receive their diploma. Many of us um, have experienced this. Some of us were here some weeks ago when some of the students walked across this stage while these stood before us as they were graduating from high school. We celebrated their achievement. Consider a parent making sacrifices and enduring hardship for the well-being of their child. The joy they experience from seeing their children thrive and succeed. And then imagine in someone embarking on a challenging and adventurous journey, enduring hardship, setbacks along the way. Their joyous anticipation of reaching a beautiful destination or accomplishing a significant goal. All these here illustrate joy and anticipation of a mission accomplished. Jesus' goal in life was to bring glory to his Father. The work he had to do was to endure the burden of suffering and shame and ultimately dying on behalf of his brethren. Coupled with the glory that he brought to his Father in perfectly uh, obeying the will of God, he also, through his sacrifice, brought many sons to glory. That's us. Because of Christ's work, because of his sacrificial death, the scripture says that we are in union and we have a communion with God and we're going to, and not only going to, but we even now enjoy the, the joy of what it is to be in union with the Trinitarian God, the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who from all eternity past have enjoyed the company of his own person. And so we get to participate in that joy. And Christ's death made that possible for us. And so as we think about the joy, this, this future participation in the glory of God, being fully conformed into the image of God, receiving new bodies, resurrected bodies, bodies that are immortal, bodies that will last and enjoy God's new creation forever. As we anticipate that, we anticipate it in this race of life that we're all 
running in. And so how do we cultivate this joy? You know, to cultivate this joy, the Christian have to look to Jesus. And so that's the first point if you're taking notes and you're taking points. The first point is to cultivate this joy, the believer need to look to Jesus. The second, the believer need to anticipate the joy and the joy of the glory of God that he experienced and will fully experience at the coming of Christ and the resurrection. And then finally, the believer, to cultivate his joy, must endure hardship, take up his cross and follow Christ. So cultivating joy requires that instead of looking to our own circumstances to give us this joy, that we instead look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. How do we get to the fact that what Jesus looked forward to the most and what was the joy that was set before him was bringing glory to his father and then bringing sons that he would save into that glory. We see that in John chapter 17 when Jesus prayed his high priest prayer. This is what the scripture says. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you give me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you give me out of the world. Yours they were, and you give them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them to the word, for I have given them the words that you give me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I come from you and that you have believed and that they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I'm glorified in them. And I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father. Keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Christ prays that he would receive the glory that he had before the world began, but he prays for us. Even as we look to that day when we would be united with him, we would be one with Father, Son, and Spirit. But yet, as we look forward to that day, we live in a world where we are pressed, hardship on every side. And so when we come to the book of Hebrews, the book of Hebrews was written to people who were pressed, on every side. Uh, these were Jewish people who had become Christian, and because of their faith in Christ, because they wanted to live a godly life, they were persecuted. And many of them felt uh, that it was no longer worth it to continue being Christians. And so they wanted to turn back. And so the writer to the book of Hebrew wrote them to remain in the faith, because Christ is the culmination. He is God's plan. He always had been. 
They believed in the words spoken through angels. In the book of Hebrews, the writer tells them that Christ is greater than the angels because the angels worship Jesus Christ. The author of the book of Hebrews tells them further that the prophet Moses, the great prophet that all of them anticipated and looked forward to, that Christ would be a prophet greater than Moses. Instead of receiving words from God, he himself is God and he speaks the words of life. But what about the temple sacrifices they would ask? The author of Hebrews says, Jesus is the fulfillment of the temple sacrifices. So they can't go back to Judaism because there's really nothing there in Judaism that is going to save them because Christ is the culmination and the fulfillment of all the promises that God had made to the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Christ, instead of the sacrificial system, made one sacrifice on behalf of his people. And after his sacrifice was accepted by God, he sits on the throne of heaven at the right hand of God, and he intercedes for his people. And so now the author of the book of Hebrews almost paints a picture for them. When we get to Hebrews 11, we have this image of the hall of faith, these great heroes that have gone before us, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Balaam, Jephthah, and all of the prophets, etc. All of these people are, as it were, in the chair. They're, they're, they're in the stands. Uh, if you can picture the image of a coliseum. Uh, they're in the stands. They're watching. They're cheering on believers to keep the faith, to keep pressing on, to keep their eyes focused on Jesus. And so if they will have the joy of the Lord... And that the Old Testament prophets spoke of when they said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. If, if the believers will have the joy of the Lord, they should keep their eyes on Jesus. Keep their eyes on Jesus. In God's sovereign plan, Jesus would come and he would live a sinless and perfect life. But we just read about Jesus in Isaiah chapter 53. Jesus didn't live an easy life. Because in God's wisdom and in God's providence, Jesus didn't come into fame and fortune. Jesus came despised and he came rejected. The scripture even speaks of Jesus as someone who wasn't calmly. He wasn't someone that was pleasant to look upon. He wasn't the most handsome of people. And he was rejected by his own people. John tells us he came to his own and his own received him not. And what is John getting at is this reality that Jesus himself was rejected. If we feel that our lives are hard and we are pressed against the wall all the time and people hate us because we're believers, look at Jesus. He was the perfect son of God. What kept him going? It wasn't because... He was beyond all of it. He wasn't. At the death of his friend, he cried. When he was in the boat and his friends were sinking, he was asleep. They woke him up and he saved them. When he was hungry, he ate. When he fasted, he got hungry and the devil tempted him. He was not beyond pain and suffering and passions. 
And so the book of Hebrews tells us to look at Jesus. Look at his example. Look at him. But don't just look at the example he set for us. Emulate his example. Emulate his example, particularly the example of him keeping his eyes focused on the joy that was set before him. And so often we want to think of it as something that was exclusive to Jesus. The joy that was set before Jesus is not exclusive to Jesus because the scripture tells us that we will participate in the joy of the Lord. As Christians, we can have true joy because our joys are not shaped and fashioned by our circumstances, whether they are good or bad. Our joys is anchored in the person of Christ, that he is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the king, the designer, the first. He was the one who spoke everything into existence. He's the architect. He created the course that we are running on, and he's ran it himself. And by his power, he will come alongside us and take us along as we complete the course that he set before us. The scripture tells us that as he was running the course, he looked forward to the glory that we saw in John chapter 7, this glory that he had with the Father before the world began, where he, Father, Son, and Spirit existed in perfect unity and enjoyed their existence together. And he's promised the same thing to us. And because of our faith in him, we are adopted into the family of God, and we too will experience that glory that Christ looked forward to in participating in that union and communion with the Father and the Spirit. And so we too can anticipate that joy. We can look forward to that day when we will fully be brought into perfect union and communion with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That day that we anticipate is a day there will be no more suffering and no more pain. Death will be banished and evil will be thrown away as far as the east is from the west. And there will only be joy and gladness and feasting in the presence of our God. And so as we experience hardship, we experience it with anticipation, looking forward to that future glory. But the scripture tells us that even now we can experience the joy because our joy is anchored in and, 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 state, and, and stated and, and, and rooted and founded in the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. The joy that we have is a joy that the world cannot take away from us. It's a joy that is produced in us by the Holy Spirit of God. It's a joy that can really enjoy and, and be glad about the good times as well as the hard times. A joy that can celebrate and enjoy fellowship and participate in all of the good things in a sanctified way, the good things that God himself has given to us for our own enjoyment. Without feeling guilty, without feeling shameful about it, without feeling that we're doing something wrong, we can enjoy life. We can really enjoy life because we have the joy of the Lord. That's why the Apostle Paul tells us to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We can rejoice at the birth of our loved ones, or the birth of our children, the birth of our 
grandchildren, etc. We can rejoice in parties, good times, music, art. We can, we can rejoice in these things because we have the joy of God. We are participating in the union. We're participating in the communion of God, a God who created all things good. And everything had been marred by sin. And so we can emulate Jesus' example, look forward and anticipate the glory that's to come, but also enjoy the fruit that is being produced in us through the Holy Spirit and also work out this fruit of joy in us by looking forward to future glory while we experience hardship, even in this life. And then finally, endure. The scripture says that we should look to Jesus because he's the beginning and end, the architect, the leader, stands before us and leads us as a trailblazer. Jesus anticipated the glory and he endured. He was steadfast. He was immovable. He was always abounding in the work of the Lord. The Apostle Paul was another example of one who endured hardship. He experienced shipwreck. He experienced beating, lashes. He was imprisoned. He's left for dead. And yet he endured. He remained on the course. He wasn't disturbed and perturbed. He wasn't taken off the course. He didn't doubt and decide that it wasn't worth it to follow Jesus anymore because of all the suffering and all the shame and, and people despised him. When Paul was on his way back to Jerusalem to minister to the church there, Agabus the prophet prophesied to him that imprisonment and chains awaited him. He was going to be captured and, and enslaved and imprisoned for his ministry of the gospel. And he says he'll go anyway because he was willing to remain the course, the state of course that God has set out for him and not let suffering and hardship perturb him. When the Lord Jesus Christ was on his way to Jerusalem on his last week before his death, knowing what awaited him, the scripture tells us that he set his face as a flint to go to Jerusalem. Nothing would turn him back. He knew what was coming. That's why he cried great drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And yet, when the robbers and the thieves and the thugs came to arrest him. Say, here am I, take me. And so the scripture tells us that the saints of old, the heroes of the faith in Hebrews 11, are cheering us on. They too have looked to Jesus. They too have run the race of life. They too have won the crown. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, I have finished my course. I have run the race. He says, henceforth is laid up for me in a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, has prepared for me before the foundation of the world. No wonder the Apostle Paul could say that all of the suffering of this age of our time cannot be compared to the glory and joy we receive at the return of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let us be mindful in closing of the words of the Apostle Paul that I just repeated. Paul says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time 
are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed. And so, brothers and sisters, as we think about joy, let's not think about joy that is rooted in only circumstances. When times are good, we are happy and glad and we rejoice. But think about joy in the sense that we are rooted in, in Christ. We are heirs and joint heirs with the Son. We're children of the kingdom. We have been given eternal life. And one day, Christ will return and, and give us immortal bodies and give us a new heaven, a new earth to enjoy in his presence, in his communion, in his fellowship forever. And so as we look forward to these things, as we think about the example of Christ who suffered and endured, as he looked forward to the coming glory, let's also take on hardships, to endure these hardships that come our way, to despise them, to think lightly of them in light of what's coming. As Paul says, they're nothing in comparison to the glory that we will receive at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray and ask God's blessing. Father, we are grateful for your grace and mercy to us. We thank you for your love and your kindness. We thank you that because of Christ, we have the Holy Spirit that has given to us this joy, this joy that passes all understanding, the joy that only Zion children's know, a joy that is rooted in our faith, the finished work of our Lord Jesus Christ, a joy that is anticipating the glory of being in full communion and perfect fellowship of our Savior and our God, our King. Lord, we pray that you give us the grace that we need to endure, like our Lord Jesus Christ, to despise the shame, to think lightly of it in comparison to the future glory that you have waiting for us. We ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen.